when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hey everybody, this is Blue Lou Marini of the original Blues Brothers Band, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio, and you better keep on listening. All right. to have on the line a very sought-out musician. He's been playing for years. He played the saxophone, mostly the clarinet. His father was a band director growing up, so hence learning a little time to music. Lulu, how you doing, sir? I'm good, thanks. Beautiful day here in New York. Well, that's good. Uh, how's everything going with 
all the chaos that's been going on the past couple of months? Well, uh, I've been laying low and uh, staying safe. My wife and I wear the mask and the gloves and avoid uh, getting close. So, so far, so good. I've, I do have a bunch of colleagues that have had it, though, and including uh, three or four who have passed away from it. So it's a serious thing, man. Yeah, unfortunately, some people aren't taking it so serious, but, you know, hopefully people will learn that this is yeah, around to stay. Yeah, I mean, But unfortunately, you know, with all the serious stuff aside, uh, before all this, hey, you were keeping pretty busy, weren't you? Yeah, uh, it's been pretty nonstop, you know. It's funny, like at this point in my career where a lot of guys are slowing down, I seem to be going faster than ever. But uh, now I was in forced hiatus. I was supposed to be on the road basically from the end of March until beginning of September, and uh, all of that's gone. In fact, the Chain Taylor tour has been postponed to May of 2021, so we won't start again until then. The funny thing is that James had just released his new album, and uh, I have a couple of really nice solos on it, and we were all looking forward to getting out the road, and uh, he had been doing a ton of promo, and then just about the time we were ready to hit, all of this happened, and uh, it all went out the window. Well, with uh, all the artists you've played for, does James Taylor stand out to be probably the most unique player for a well he's yeah he he definitely is a unique player i mean i i have a wide uh, i've cast i've managed somehow to cast a wide net through all the years of playing i've played with so many different people but one thing about james is he's uh you know he's he's uh a humble guy and uh he's been through a lot in his life and he's uh he values uh, uh, the right things. And, and so not only is the band superb, but also the the crew that goes out with us, they've all been around for years and years, and they love being with James. So the total experience of, of being out on the road and playing in this band, which is, you know, he calls it, uh, sometimes he calls it the band of legends, but... I mean, when you got Steve Gadd on drums to start with, and guys like Larry Goldings and Michael Landau and Jimmy Johnson, it's just a, you know, my my colleague on the trumpet, Walt Fowler, he's brilliant. Louis Conte, the percussionist, the singers are, are just wonderful. So that gig is a just night to night. It's it's a total delight, both making music wise and and friend friendship wise. It's a, it's a unique experience. And James sets the tone for all of it. Plus, you know, he never messes up. It's sort of amazing. He's he's so consistent. And no, uh, you know, all the lyrics are in his head. And sometimes uh, we, we've had occasions where people have asked for, like, really obscure old tunes that the band has never played with James, you know. And, and uh, I remember one night, there's one about a pig named Mona. Is that right? Ring a bell or something? But yeah, it's, that is. it's not. That's a, it's, and it's not an easy tune. Another, of course, another of us knew it, and this woman kept asking James to play it, and finally, he did it himself. You know, and just nailed it. 
And we'd never heard him sing it ever in 20 years of being on the road. With it. <laughs> yeah, he's a trip. Well, like we've said in his pre-taped intro, and it's already been mentioned here, you've played with so many people from Aretha Franklin, Tony Bennett, Stevie Wonder, you know, James Taylor, Clapton. You know, what kind of – is there a favorite type of style you really enjoy playing, or are you is it like children that you – like them all. Well, uh, of course, I like them all, and one of the one of the main goals of doing that is is to, for me anyway, especially if, if I'm called upon a solo, which I often am, uh, is to is to honor the style and try to bring something unique to it uh, of my own background, you know. So. So that's my my aim, you know. It's paying attention to your inner ear when you're playing and respecting the music and the musicians you're playing with, and uh, and so that's always been uh, fun, you know, and playing every style and trying to get inside it. Some, you know, like a a couple a couple of years ago now, I got uh, or maybe a year and a half ago, I got uh, called to do an interview about uh, some playing I had done with a Japanese artist named Jun Fukumachi. And uh, and I remembered uh, remembered it vaguely and remembered that it was uh, challenging music. And so they sent me a couple CDs, you know, because uh, I was on it with Mike Brecker, and I think Randy was on it too. And there's one tune that Mike plays, just a stunning solo on it. And when I got this record and started, and I put it on, I was sort of blown away because uh, it was so hard, so complicated, and uh, and we we were playing full out and just super super difficult music, you know. And that's the kind of thing where you go in and you have three hours to do two or three tunes. Maybe we were there for a double session or something. But I I, I listened to it and I'm sort of like, uh, wow. Uh, I don't know if I could do that now, you know, but I did it then. Yeah, uh, you know, so playing all the all the different styles is uh, is a challenge, and and it requires all your musicianship. But to tell you the truth, what I like most to do is to play with like a trio or a quartet, play jazz in a small club. That's the most fun playing, playing tunes. Uh, jazz standards and you know original tunes depends on what kind of music it is but when you're in that intimate atmosphere and uh, it's almost like a, it's like a basketball team you know five guys four guys and uh, or gals and, and and it's so intimate and so reflexive and responsive and it can be so creative and the intimacy of having the audience right close to you where they can hear you acoustically it's that's my favorite way of playing. Well, I played for some unique audiences. When I was doing my homework, I saw you had uh, played with uh, former for former presidents Clinton and Obama, but also met Lyndon Johnson. Is there a little extra uh, pressure in terms of playing for such a unique audience? Oh yeah, uh, you definitely feel like uh, you've got to be really on your game. Uh, but it's it's not that different from the pressure you feel and uh, all the time, you know. And you know, at this point in my career, after having played 
in so many situations. Uh, I, it's not that I don't get it anymore, but it's such a familiar feeling, uh, the, the, uh, the little touch of anxiety or, uh, it's not even anxiety. It's, uh, it doesn't have a negative connotation. You know, it's more of like a, a, a nervous buzz that you, that you have, you know, and, and generally as soon as you start playing, that, that immediately goes away and now you're back to work, you know. Uh, but yeah, and when I think about it, uh, I've played, I didn't play for Jimmy Carter, but I played for LBJ, played for George Bush, didn't play for his father. I played for Bill, I played for Bill a few times, uh, played his 50th birthday party at Radio City Music Hall. That was a trip. That's the first time I met him. And you know, I, it's a funny thing because, uh, I used to play a lot for Sesame Street and they, they have a yearly fundraiser gala that they do in New York and it's a big black tie affair and, and, uh, I've played it, uh, uh, more than a few times and, and one of the times I was playing and, uh, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, you know, I was warming up backstage and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and it was Bill Clinton. And I remember I said, hey man, what's happening? You know, and no Mr. President, no, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Like another cat, you know. But he's well, a, he is a sax player, so yeah, he's a sax. I have a photo of him actually uh, from a newspaper clipping playing my saxophone at a gig uh, was for uh, Danny Aykroyd in, in uh, Mohegan Sun Casino up in Connecticut, and he came in and sat in and played my horn. So I've been playing my horn. That's pretty cool. Uh, another honor. I saw you played at least once with Kennedy Center Honors. What is that? How cool well, is that actually, kind of I, 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 Go ahead. I played uh, I played a dozen years, both as the first saxophone in the orchestra, and as a member of the All Star Band that played in front. So that was a good gig in a lot of ways. Uh, for one thing, it, it was paid double for me, so that that that's uh, that was a lovely thing. And uh, also, though. Uh, you know, this is, goes to what we were talking about. You know, one minute you're in the orchestra and you're playing a flute solo in, uh, in Carmen's Bizet and in, in Bizet's opera Carmen for some opera singer. And then you change clothes and you run out on stage and you play Clarence, Clarence Clemens solo on a Bruce Springsteen tune. And, uh, that calls upon a, a wide range of, uh, of your talent, I'll tell you. The Kennedy Center Honors was a great, great gig. It was a wonderful band. And that's an example of the kind of pressure that we were talking about where it's live. Uh, there's no reduce. Uh, so you can't screw up and, uh, and the pressure's on and, and you're playing with great musicians. And then of course, uh, they always had every kind of star that you're backing up who are honoring the honorees, you know. So, yeah, that was a wonderful gig. I really loved that gig. And and not only that, but the producer, uh, George Stevens Jr., uh, and who had started off the Kennedy Center Honors, and his son, Michael, who died young of uh, some kind of weird stomach cancer, unfortunately. The two of them treated us, uh, treated the musicians like gold. We, we, we were treated with respect and, and, 
uh, when our wives wanted to come, they would arrange the flights. And there was no problem. We were always invited to the banquet afterwards and then also to the exclusive after party where you'd find yourself hanging out with Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep. And yeah, that was a cool gig, man, really a cool gig. Well, things that you bring that up with, uh, you never know who you might bump into, but is there somebody along the way throughout a lot of years of playing music that you really were starstruck by meeting somebody? Uh, well, you know, to tell you the truth, not, not, I, I, I never had that kind of, uh, fee, I mean, when I met Duke Ellington, I was definitely starstruck. We played for Lyndon Johnson at the White House and on the, with uh, my university band, the University of North Texas uh, jazz band. Uh, we played twice, actually. And the second time, uh, we played on the White House lawn, and Stan Getz sat in with us, and, uh, and Duke Ellington sat in with us. And, uh, and afterwards, we got to talk to Duke, and he was so gracious and so... Uh, you know, accommodating with a group of young musicians. Uh, so, yeah, I was definitely starstruck in the presence of, of Duke Ellington. And uh, and uh, you know, when I think of, jeez, uh, I'd have to think about that a little more because, you know, I've played for so many people. I just uh, I just did a little thing on, on the Internet for, for Dionne Warwick and uh, and... I had played for Dion at a big concert at uh, at Lincoln Center in, in the 80s. And then I played for her again uh, when she did this AIDS benefit in the late 80s. And, uh, and on that was one of the two times that I was supposed to play for Frank Sinatra. And uh, I was playing lead alto, which is really fun to play all those great charts. And, and we rehearsed. And then Frank was ill and, and didn't make a gig. So I I would definitely have been starstruck in his presence, that's for sure. But man, I played with Tony Bennett a bunch of times and uh, Diana Ross. And first time I played with Diana Ross, or first time I met Diana Ross was uh, well, I played for her. I think I met her before I played for her. I, she came into a club that I was working in six nights a week while I was going to school in Dallas, wearing a white mink or white ermine. Uh, fur in the wintertime and she was so glamorous and she came up and talked to the band afterwards and I think I might have been a little starstruck by Diana Ross yeah, Diana that's for sure uh, well obviously most people realize and know you from both the Saturday Night Live band and the Blues Brothers band uh, but first and foremost with Saturday Night Live band uh, what kind of experience is that across all the different bands you've played with throughout the years? Well, there were two editions of the Saturday Night Live band. Uh, the first one was Howard Shore, and I think that was like the first three or four years. And then the second edition was was directed by uh, uh, or conducted by Leon Pendarvis, and, and, uh, who's still at the Saturday Night Live show now. And uh, after all these years, and uh, both those bands were wonderful, but the second band was uh, was really sort of a, a unique band because it had expanded, and there were three keyboard players: Leon Pendarvis and Chris Palmero and, and Ray Chu. Ray has been the longtime uh, director of the 
live at the Apollo uh, band, you know, and, and uh, Chris Palmero is a super successful writer and arranger for TV and, and movies, and, and Penn Darvis is a brilliant keyboard player. And then the, the guitars were George Wadinius, the great Swedish guitar player, and, and David Spinoza. So you can't get much better than those two guys. And the bass players were, for a time, it was Marcus Miller, and then it was uh, Neil Jason, and Buddy Williams played drums, and so did Steve Jordan. And the horn section was Alan Rubin, uh, and Tom Malone and myself and uh, a wonderful saxophone player named Lawrence Feldman and uh, Cuba on baritone, one of the world's great jazz players. And so the band was just, it was just a smoking band. Plus, I think we were probably the craziest band in the history of TV. <laughs> we, we, we did some stuff that was just totally outrageous. You know, it never, uh, of course, the, the audience never saw any of it, but uh, Let's let me just put it this way: it was, it could get pretty pretty creative sometimes. And the fact, but you know, it was much looser. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was much looser in those days too, though. Uh, as far as like, you know, I remember Frank Zappa's being uh, band being in town, and so we knew, and we invited them to come up afterwards, and a couple of guys sat in and played with us on the show, you know, like instead of me playing a solo, I, I let uh, Sal Marquez play a solo. And that kind of thing would happen, you know. It was, it was a more relaxed scene than it is now. Uh, it was easier to get your friends to come to the show. and uh, But uh, the show during the years, those especially those first four or five years, uh, when, you know, the whole country, well, actually, I think the first I played the first eight years, and I think all of those eight years were uh, America was that's what they did that's what America did on Saturday night you know for the most part, and the Monday morning the whole country would be talking about Steve Martin or Belushi or the Samurai this or Ackroyd's crazy things you know and and uh, I remember that you know the opening theme was 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 me playing that first phrase, which is the only part of it that I ever repeated. The rest was all just improvising. But Alan Rubin would turn to me right before the opening solo, and he would say, okay, where's the hippest place to be on Earth right now? You know. So that's what it felt like anyway. You mentioned uh, Steve Martin there, and obviously it was during the early days of uh, the Blues Brothers as well. You got to play with him out in L.A., what kind of experience was that going to that? Because I was such a heyday with him in terms of staying well, up and just everything. You know, that was part of The Blues Brothers was basically like a rocket ride. Uh, it just, from the moment we started rehearsing, uh, we knew it was something special. And, and then, uh, you know, we go out to L.A. and we're playing at the Universal Amphitheater, and we just sort of thought it was going to be a good gig. And, nothing more than that and and then the response from the audience was was just amazing and uh backstage was like a who's who of hollywood every night you know and you, there's robert de niro there's danny devito i remember danny devito coming up to us when we got off when we got to the backstage area and he's all he could say was man he was going man 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 <laughs> <laughs> we were like, okay. And I, I can remember uh, playing uh, B-movie Boxcar Blues, and uh, 
I was the outside guy on the on the horn section closest to the audience, and uh, I, I remember looking over and seeing Jack Nicholson on the front row, and he caught my eye, and he lifted up his sunglasses and looked at me, and he went, wow. <laughs> so that was the kind of vibe it was, you know. It was, it was pretty electric. Well, I want to hold you up all day. If people want to check you out, go to uh, LouMarini.com. Lou, thank you so much. try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries now that's what I call depressing is gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks for those that are getting now that's what I call depressing you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com.
Hey, this is Margot Ray, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Have we put 